0: the Lord, as we're progressing, as we're maturing, we need to get to a point where the Word of God really starts to impact and, and touch our life. And when we do that, we can see amazing things that actually can happen in our lives, especially if we open our Bibles and open our hearts at the same time, um, and, and we show up to church just, you know, not just because the guy up front, Alan, thinks he's so funny, and And so forth. Or it's a nice church, so we attend, or or whatever it is. But we need to get to a point where, in our worship, we start to settle down. That every thought that goes through our head, everything that's been bothering us, everything that's been going on in life, just kind of goes away for a little bit. And we start to to say, Lord, what would you have to say to my heart today? Because many of us, uh, you know, become so hungry, and one of the reasons is, is because we do the church diet. Have you ever tried the church diet like in real life by eating food? I, you, the answer is going to be no. OK? Just everybody shake their head, "No." Because you know what the church diet is, right? You eat one meal a week. You show up and you get your fill of, of one meal, and then you don't eat the rest of the week. How many want, you want to try it? You're like, "No, stinking way. No way I'm going to do that. Well, we do that with the word of God. Now we start to feel bad, don't we? When we do that to the Word of God, that's the type of diet we're on, is what we call the church diet. And we need to get used to studying the Word of God uh, because it's important. When we start to realize the meaning of Jesus in our life and an everyday uh, impact into our life, in fact, Jesus is actually called the Word of God, and we, and we see it how it begins to affect our lives. We see it how it affects today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And it affects our marriage in a positive way. It affects our jobs in a good way. It affects our schooling. It affects our family. It blows my mind when these things actually happen. And when we truly open up our minds and say, Lord, what have you got to teach me today? And that can happen not just right here. It can happen tomorrow when you open the Word of God. It can happen on Tuesday when you open the Word of God. It can happen on, you know, um day. Every time I say that, I think of the camel. You know what I'm talking about, the camel? Okay, anyway, you're going, just be quiet, get to it. Okay, well, let's get into the Word of God. You might remember where... Last week, we left off with Aaron facing off with all the magicians that Pharaoh has. So Aaron would throw down his stick, and, and you know, these, all these people must have been from the south. They love snakes, and they throw down their sticks, and it becomes a snake. You know, they follow what Aaron did, and Aaron's staff eats up their snakes, and the big snake fight going on is awesome. And, you know, but, but because the Lord is in control of this world, who wins, right? You should know, Right. The Lord wins, okay? And, uh, you know, that's the way it always works out with the Lord. But I also want to mention last week we talked about we have to constantly be asking ourselves who we are throughout the story of Exodus. Are we Moses? Not ready to lead, but maybe we're called to lead in some area of life. Are we Aaron? Are we Aaron? We're ready to be ste- you know, step up and be the right-hand man, be the supporting person, the right-hand woman. I'm not trying to be prejudiced here, okay? But I'm just saying the the, the person right up there to support. Are we the Israelites? Not realizing we need to be rescued, but at the same time, calling out to be rescued. Sometimes willing, sometimes not. Or maybe, maybe we're Pharaoh. Maybe we're at that point where we have a hardened heart. One thing has led to another to another, and, and our heart is kind of hardened, and the Lord has to soften that. So, they, so today we, we pick up where Moses and Aaron uh, leave. Aaron has his staff it's a little thicker from eating a few more snakes, a little heavier from what was going on. But today we entered in, into what we call the ten plagues. And we need to remember they all started, after we see Pharaoh, basically mocking the Lord. It's never good to mock the Lord. And Pharaoh, the Lord knows what's going to happen. Pharaoh mocked the Lord. You know, they went to Pharaoh and asked for a couple of days off and uh, why he says. And, and they said, well, we need to worship our God. And he says, as if there's any kind of God that, you know, that you people should be, even be worshipped. You know, this God lets you be slaves for 400 years. Give me a break. I don't think I'm going to give you any time off to worship your so-called uh, called God. As a matter of fact, I don't even think He's God. I've never even heard of your God, because Pharaoh thinks he's the God of all gods. He thinks he's heard of every God, because he thinks he is a God. And we start to see this incredible haughtiness, this incredible stubbornness and arrogance. And it's all magnified in this one man. But it really represents man's, you know, in general, man's, uh, uh, you know, people who are haughty and stubborn or, or arrogant in their relationship with God, in their relation to God. So the plagues are are the result of Pharaoh asking a simple question. Well, who is your God? I don't see your God. (laughs) And God goes, really? Okay. Well, let's start some things going on here. Basically, he says, prove it to me. Like, I'm going to believe this little show that you put on with the snakes. So God starts to reveal himself, and this is an incredible thing about our God. When we ask God to reveal himself, guess what? He will do it. It just probably won't be in the way that we're thinking, you know? you know, like money in our bank and all that kind of stuff, you know. But he does reveal himself. Let's pick up in chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him and taking your hand a st- the staff that was changed into a snake then he said to him the lord or then say to him the lord the god of the hebrews has sent me to say to you let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert but until now you have not listened this is what the lord says by this you will know that i am the lord with my staff the, uh, with the staff that's in my hand i will strike the water of the nile and it will be changed to blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take the, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded he raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and all his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Now, if you know anything about Egypt, if you studied history at all, the Nile is the lifeblood of Egypt. Without the Nile, Egypt would not be there. It would not be a country. It, it sustains them in every way. So Pharaoh goes down to the Nile, and Moses goes down there with his sidekick Aaron, and he uses what we would call the lifeblood of Egypt, like we were saying, to show God's power, not only to Pharaoh, but to everyone else. You know, one of the things that I thought about this week is, uh, you know, Moses and and Aaron, they're going into the palace, they're dealing with Pharaoh, so the officials would know what's going on, and a few other people that are around might recognize Moses from 40 years ago, maybe. So a few people know what's going on, but the whole country doesn't know what's going on. But now, with this happening, everybody's talking about it, right? I mean, a few years ago, we had the, the drought here. And we, I mean, we we're kind of always on that verge of the drought. But it was all that everybody could talk about, right? You know, we couldn't you know, water our lawns, we couldn't do this, couldn't do that. Imagine having no water all of a sudden that you could use in your house today. How would that affect everything? <laughs> you're cooking, you're cleaning, you're bathing. Oh man, church would stink, wouldn't it? Everything would smell. So imagine that with what's going on with Egypt. Everyone's aware of it. All of a sudden, it's there. I mean, the Nile's where the drinking water came from. It's where the cooking water came from. It's where the bathing water came from. It's where you would go down and cool off during the day. The farmers would get their water for their crops from there. You know, they caught their fish that they ate for dinner. You know, the guy would come home and say, honey, what's home, you know, what's ready for dinner? You know, and she goes, no, there's nothing. It's like, well, where's the fish? Oh, no, no, you don't want to eat that fish. No, 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 no. So they, And they wouldn't have any firewood to cook on because that's where the trees got the water to grow. So all of a sudden, imagine, you know, everything in life is in jeopardy. You don't know what's going on, and the fish are dying. I mean, everything has just changed, and you don't know when it'll be over. All of a sudden, everyone is trying to figure out what is happening. What God did Pharaoh get upset or make upset? And that would be a good question for them. Because they had, all these, they had hundreds of different gods. The, the sun god, the water god, the this god, the crocodile god. I mean, all these different gods. They were saying, which one did he upset? They just didn't realize it's the god of the universe. The most important one. The only one. They're thinking, did he upset the Nile god? They worship this body of water. So God's response is, you go ahead and you worship that. And you know, I'll make you I'll make it even easier for you to actually see that water. We're gonna see so much stuff that goes happens in Exodus that really relates to Jesus in my view. Here we see the blood. The life force of Egypt turn into blood, the water turn into the blood. Jesus' first miracle was what? Changing water into wine the power to change the chemical makeup of things in order to make a point. In fact, God is so capable of this, but we're in shock when God does a miracle. People are just amazed when God does a miracle. It's so weird. If we're so shocked with miracles, why are we not shocked by creation in the first place? You see my point? If we're so shocked by one miracle... But we're not shocked by how the world came to be. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe that's the problem. Do you really think God spoke this world into being or not? Or do you think the scientists are correct? We've gone through Genesis, so you understand what I'm saying. Just maybe God did create everything. He just used what he already had. He just used what what he already knew, his knowledge, to make it. As humans, we think we're so smart. I mean, think about it. We've guys flying in space right now. Brandon the other day was got out of, He brought his iPad to me and he goes, "Look at them! They're doing a spacewalk." And I'm thinking, how'd you come up with that? You know, he's got a live video of the spacewalk up there. You know, we think we're so smart. 60 years ago, that was a pipe dream. The technology we had wouldn't have not would have not even worked. We sent up a chip. And a dog just to make sure they could make it back alive. But we're so smart. We had to make up new science just to get them up there. Yet for some reason, every generation thinks they have all the answers. You know what I'm saying? We have all the answers, don't we? To the mysteries of the universe. How many planets are in our solar system? Anyone? Okay, did you not pass second grade, people? Nine. Wrong. Did you know that? There's eight now. They, they demoted Pluto. Poor Pluto. The dog's ears are flapping. Okay, no, wrong Pluto. But I'm just saying, poor Pluto. It's a dwarf planet now. So not even. So, I mean, even the science that I learned is changing from what my son is being taught. And I'm like, I'm still going to call Pluto. i still say nine. But, you know, that's my own thing, you know. So when God does a miracle, our faith is shocked. How do we imagine the Israelites were a little shocked? Whoa, Moses and Aaron, how how did you do that? They They hadn't known their God for 430 years, basically. They'd forgotten their God. They called out to him, but they forgot what he could do. Verse 22, it says, But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not, uh, did not take even this to heart. All the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water from the river. So the river turns to blood. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And the reason it was hardened is because Pharaoh had these sorcerers that did the same thing. They did By demonic powers, they did the work for him. His wizards and sorcerers and in order to maintain their power duplicated what Moses is doing. So they do it too. But this surprises me a little bit. Why didn't they turn the water or the blood back into water? You see what I'm saying? If they're so powerful, why didn't they just do the opposite instead of mimicking? See, and that's the thing about demonic things. They can mimic God, but they're not God. They can mimic it, but they're not the real thing. Now, what's really weird in all this is Pharaoh uses, in his rebellion, uses this faulty logic, which is what we use during our rebellion when we run away from God. We use faulty logic. In fact, some per- person said to me yesterday, I haven't been to church a while. And I go, well, guess what? Your pastor knows. We use this faulty logic. Well, I've got to get this straightened out before I can come back. No, 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 no. That's when you need to be there is when things are falling apart. That's when it's important to, to be, have that support, to be in the Word of God and, and to, to fellowship with other Christians and to seek the Lord. So in his faulty logic, he goes, well, I mean, my guys can do this miracle too, so I don't have to listen to these prophets. I don't have to listen to these guys who say they're from the Almighty God. So then brings on the second plague. What is the second plague? Anyone? Anyone? frogs frogs you got to love it ribbit <laughs> oh verse 25 says seven days passed after the lord struck the nile then the lord said to moses go to pharaoh and say to him this is what the lord says let my people go so that they may worship me if you refuse to let them go i will plague your whole country with frogs the nile would teem with frogs They will come up into your palace, and in your bedroom, and onto your bed, into your houses of the officials, and on your people. Into your ovens and kneading troughs, the frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds, and make frogs come up from the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched his Uh, stretched out his hands over the water in Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up from the land of Egypt. Now, this kind of makes me laugh. Pharaoh's going, well, you know, hey, guys, can you do something about this? So what do they do? They double the frog population. Have you thought about that? No, instead of making them go away, they double it. I... (laughs) I mean, (laughs) get rid of them. What do you mean get rid of them? I can't do that. You know, I I just don't get it, you know. Uh, Now, Egypt during this time, frogs were worshipped. So, you can't kill a frog. You can't get rid of a frog. This morning, Brandon started freaking out. Dad, dad, dad. I'm like, what? He's like, there's a spider on the floor. I don't know if it's the biting kind or not. You know, he's freaking out about it. Now imagine frogs everywhere. You can't get them out. You can't cook food because they're in your oven, so therefore you can't start a fire. I mean, you, there's all sorts of things. You can't get rid of them. And God is saying, go ahead, pray to your frog goddess. Now, did you know there's actually five different frog goddesses or gods in Egypt? <laughs> they were heget the goddess of fertility, or the giver of life and creation. The goddess of resurrection. That was the, the female version. And then the male version was god of nun, or Noon, uh, water, where they came from. The god of um, amen, which is invisibility. The god of he, infinity. And the god of kek, which is darkness. So God fills everything with these frogs. God tries to show them. The absolute goofiness of worshiping animals, especially frogs. Boy, they, do they get their fill of frogs. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Verse 8, it says, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may, uh, may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh says, Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials, and your people, and they will only remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs that he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. Man, that had to stink. You know what I'm saying? If they're everywhere. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Man, this is amazing. Pharaoh calls out to Abraham I mean to Aaron and Moses and not his sorcerers and he says can you pray to your god for some help here to get rid of these things because my god is not doing a thing I notice that Moses gave Pharaoh a, a choice here just so you know he would see who was really in control of the situation you tell me when and that's when I'll pray in other words, Moses didn't want th- him thinking at all that it was his magicians or anybody else. So all the frogs were all over the last place. I wonder if they had one big, long, last croak. Thank you for the two people who are catching on there. And you have piles of dead frogs, but you worship these frogs. So now you've got to have a big state burial or something going on. So the frogs just croak, and now you would think that Pharaoh would be happy. Oh, good, okay, well, let's compromise. They brought the frogs. My guys added to the frogs. I asked them to get it to stop. It did. So now I'm back in control. Let's compromise a little. This is really what Pharaoh's life is about. It's really what our life is about. Who is in control? Who do we truly believe is in control? Are you in control of your life? Is this world in control of your life? Is your boss in control of your life? I mean, depending on your boss, it may feel like it. You know what I'm saying? Or is it your God? Because someone is controlling your actions. We can, you know, we can either try to go at it alone, which means we might get there, we might you know, take us a long time to get there, or... not ever get where God wants us to be who controls you who controls your heart your feelings who controls who you worship who controls what you think about who controls your strength I can answer it for most of us because we all struggle with this we do we control it and then ever so often we ask God to help us out in that control. And we say, Lord, you, you, you take this. And that's okay. It's okay to struggle in these different areas. But we have to seek the Lord to say, Lord, am I moving the right direction? Help me move that right direction. You know, it's not okay to struggle and then just stop. Not okay to deal with something and then just go, ah, I just can't do it, so I guess I, I'm, I'm done. See, because this is when we become bitter and our hearts become hard like Pharaoh's heart, like most of the Pharisees. We get into these ritual things. In verse 15 it says, but when Pharaoh saw, his, or when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, in other words, there was a breathing room. You had a little bit of space there. Okay, I can, okay, I can get through this. He hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's like us in many ways. Or maybe it's our family, or maybe it's the church down the road. We cry out to God during a tough time, and God gives us a little bit of relief, and then we get out ahead of ourselves again, and we're on our own again, and we forget about the Lord. We cry out to the Lord, the Lord helps us, then we forget about Him. And many of us strike a bargain, like a bargain with God. We go, "Um, "Just do this, and I will." And fill in the blank, you know. It's best never to promise God something; he'll he'll hold you to it. We're really not in a position to bargain with God. We're we're totally in a need of His mercy and grace. There's nothing that God needs from us other than our obedience. And he doesn't need that in a sense of he can make us do what he wants done. But our God's got enough grace and mercy, he wants us to do those things. So we don't have a lot to offer to God except for he wants us to be in a relationship with him, to purify us and cleanse us so we can learn to be more like him and to spend eternity with him. Some people say, well, he needs our tithes and our offerings. No, the Lord doesn't need that either. The Lord wants you to tithe. He wants you to offer stuff to him, but he doesn't need it. You know, we're kind of this mind of, well, God, if you're really good to me, then I, you know, maybe I'll give back to you. And the Lord's like, man, oh, man, you really don't understand me. I own everything. I have everything. He wants a relationship with us. He wants our heart in the Old Testament, the word for heart and mind are the same word. When our hearts turn to other things, that's where we put our mind. My son has been obsessed with this. He wants some headphones, you know, Bluetooth headphones and, you know, sound dampening headphones and all that kind of stuff. And, man, his, his heart was set on it, and his mind was set right there. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Dad, I was looking at those headphones online. Okay, Brandon. Then, you know, an hour later, Hey, Dad, you know, I was watching YouTube, and this guy was saying something about these headphones. You see what I'm saying? That's where his heart was. That's where his mind was. What do we do in our life that we do the same thing? We ignore the Lord. I don't want you to get the wrong idea when it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's really not a good translation there. What it means is his heart and mind were so far gone. So, therefore, God knew his heart was hardened, okay? It's not like God said, oh, well, I'm going to take Joshua, I'm going to harden his heart right now. No, 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 no. That means we take our mind and our thoughts and we put them on so many other things that the Lord's sitting there going, his heart's hardened now. Okay, so don't, so don't get that idea that God's doing this to him. God says enough is enough. I'm not going to deal with it no more. I'm through with him. His heart is hardened. My prayer is for, for each one of us is that our heart and our mind would never reach this point where God cannot reach us. It's important for us to never get to that point Where we come to a Bible study Or open the word of God And it doesn't change us Where we come to a service And truly We don't really worship We come to a praise time And there is no praise That's a sad state to be in And that's when we should call call out to our Lord. Because those are the signs of a hardened heart. And if you stay there too long, then God's going to say, okay, I'm going to let you go that way. If you really want to go that way, I'm going to let you. Because you're choosing not to listen to the Lord. But there is great news here. When you realize... That's the path you are on. And when you call back to the Lord, guess what? The Lord has enough grace and enough mercy that when you t- turn your eyes back toward God, he is there with open arms to welcome you back. And that's the greatest thing about our Lord, is that he does go after the one. He leaves the 99 in good hands, and he goes after the one and chases them down in a sense. But we've got to be smart enough that we don't walk away that far. We don't get caught that far out, because wouldn't it be so much better that the Lord not have to chase us down? The Lord just kind of snaps his finger, the Lord throws a rock at us, and kind of hits us on the backside every once in a while, and we go, "Oh, oh, oh, I'm supposed to be back over here." Okay, let me come back. You know, it's like our children. Brandon, I say, "Hey, Brandon, stay next to the car." Brandon stays next to the car. Hey, Grayson, stay next to the car. Don't run out into the road. What does Grayson do? wants to run out into the road. He wants to move. He doesn't want to stay there. He's four, okay? So I have to really watch him like a hawk. There's some of us the Lord has to watch like a hawk. But there comes to a point where we get to a a maturity level. We've been around the Lord long enough that he can just say, hey, Alan, stay right there. And Alan stays. Alan doesn't go wandering off. Alan doesn't go running out in the road. Alan doesn't go down this path of destruction because I'm mature enough to say, no, the Lord told me to stay. Are we mature enough? Are we maturing? That's the question that you need to answer. And if the answer is yes, then praise the Lord. Bring some other people along with you in that process. If the answer is no, then say, Lord, change my life. Help me get back on the path where I am maturing and going your direction. Because if I don't get on this path, my heart's going to be hardened. Let's see... <laughs> The great thing about God and the worst, absolute worst thing about God is when you've been taught, when you've been sitting here under the teaching okay, from the Word of God, not from Alan, but from the Word of God, and you were warned about these things, and you still choose to do them, the Lord holds you accountable. Did you know that? Ouch. Ouch. When we've been taught something, the Lord holds us accountable to it versus somebody who's never been taught that. You know, I've always said this. That's why you, people who are unmarried in the church, you, uh, you know, if if they've grown up in the church, you knock them upside the head and say, you've got to be married if you're shacking up. Okay? Just whack. Let's take care of this right now. But if a couple comes into the church that's never been to church and they're unmarried and they have children and all that, you love them into the kingdom. See, those, that's the difference. One, you hold accountable because they've been taught. This other couple, you, 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 you love them into it, and as you teach them, then they're held accountable. You see the difference? You've been here long enough. You've heard the word of God. You've been warned. Don't stray off of it. The Lord is gracious. He wants you back, but he's going to hold you accountable if you keep straying. In other words, you know, the Lord may rescue us from a certain situation, I love this, you know, I'll rescue my son from something And then I'll go, okay, now you know What do you mean now I know? Well, don't do that again, because next time you're going to have to pay the consequences I'm not going to you know, rescue you from the same thing Same thing with the Lord The Lord goes, okay, I've just rescued you out of that situation Don't do it again What do you mean don't do it again? Well, if you do it again, you're going to have to dig yourself out Ouch Being held accountable is important because if we're never held accountable, what do we do? Flip flop, flounder, and just kind of die off. And that's never a good thing. Well, why don't you stand? We'll pray. My wife is in the nursery. She'll be very happy I got done early today. Usually I'm late on her nursery days. So let's pray as the worship team comes up. And yeah. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for loving us so much that you give us warnings, that you teach us about this life and what's important and what's not I pray that we get to a point in our life that if we see that we're hardening our heart in one area like Pharaoh when we feel like we get some relief so we start ignoring you Lord, that you remind us who you are that you are the God of this universe that you created the heavens and the earth You created everything. You created beautiful things, and those beautiful things are us. So much so that you allowed your son to come down here and die for our sins. That we may have a relationship with you. That for some reason you want to have, Lord. Because it is beyond me to understand that sometimes. We thank you for doing that, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he bless you this week when you recognize him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.